Well, Christmas is all about family. And for those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is all about being adopted into His family. Because the whole reason that the Lord sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is to adopt us into His family. Well, what does it mean to be adopted by God into His family? Because all of us have the opportunity and the privilege of being adopted by Him. But what does that adoption mean? How does it play out in our lives? If you'll turn with me this morning in the book of Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Where we're going to look at a true family Christmas. Galatians chapter 4. A true family Christmas. And a true family Christmas is about living in the reality of what it means to be adopted by the Lord into His family. Galatians chapter 4. As you turn to the fourth chapter there, allow me to give you the background of this passage of Scripture. And my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin. And I invite you to follow along with us. False teachers had infiltrated the churches in Galatia. And these teachers that had infiltrated the church were teaching the people that they had to go back to the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament under Moses in order to fully know and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, following and knowing Jesus was not sufficient enough. It was Jesus plus all these ceremonies that they had to follow. And Paul is writing to the believers in Galatia refuting what these false teachers are putting out there. Now, we don't pick up this in English, but I remember when I was working through Galatians in seminary, I was about to pull my hair out because it was just one run-on sentence after another. And in English, if you have run-on sentences, your English teacher is going to just jump all over your case about it. And it is bad English, and it's great Greek to do that. And I remember the professor looking at us and saying, are you all having a fit with these sentences? And everybody in the class nodded their head. This is driving us nuts. And he said, the reason that you got all these run-on sentences in Greek, in Galatians, is because Paul is so upset and he is so angry that the book of Galatians is like molten lava. He is just exploding in what he's trying to say to them. And basically what Paul is saying is you all started out free in Christ and it was Jesus and Jesus only. And now you're allowing these teachers to infiltrate the church there and to teach you you've got to follow all these ceremonies in order to be right with God. And so he's really upset as he writes this. Now, look at the context of what we're going to see in this fourth chapter of the book of Galatians. Paul is going to write here and he's going to use a lot of family terms. He's going to talk about being a son or a daughter of the Lord. He's going to talk about family. He's going to talk about adoption. And what the Lord did when he used these terms is he had to find a way to help us understand the kind of relationship that he wanted with us. And so he goes back to the way he created us in the book of Genesis to relate to one another. And that is the most basic way we relate to each other. And the foundational aspect of life is his family. And so he he takes family terminology and he weaves it all through the book of Galatians to help us understand our relationship with God. Now, Roman adoption was very, very different than as how we experience adoption in our culture. Roman adoption focused primarily, interestingly enough, on adults and not children. In other words, most people who were adopted in the Roman Empire at the time of the writing of the New Testament were adults, not children. 
If you were adopted, you had the same legal position in the family and before the law as a biological child. Adoption in the Roman Empire was a well-known practice. It had great importance in the law and in society. And if you were adopted, it was considered to be a treasured status. And it would provide you with a lot of new opportunities. If the adoptee would cut ties with their former family and come under the authority of the new family that they were being adopted into. And when you were adopted, you took the father's rank and you took his name. And what Paul is saying here is that we have moved from a status of being slaves to sin and slaves to Satan to an adoptive status of being in the family of God. Galatians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, in other words, when God knew He had orchestrated everything and it was just the right time. When the fullness of time had come... God, notice the verb, sent forth His Son, born of women and born under the law. In other words, following the principles and guidance of the law, the Old Testament law. For what purpose? Verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, verse 4, adoption happens with us spiritually as God's initiative. He uses the term here referring to God as a father, and he says that God sent forth His Son. The initiative was by the Lord. The Lord has sent forth His Son. The Lord has sent His Spirit into our hearts to cry, Abba, Father. And we'll look at that later on. You see, we couldn't go to the Lord, and He knew that, so He came to us. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that was God seeking us out, searching for us, coming to us because it was impossible for us to search for him and to seek after him. So when he was born in Bethlehem, he was searching for us, seeking for us, and coming after us. That is the idea here when it says that God sent forth his son. And he came to, for what purpose, verse 4, to redeem us. Now, in the New Testament, there are a lot of different uh, key verbs that are used to describe what it means to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior and come into a relationship with Him. And what the gospel writers do, particularly Paul, is they pull from different aspects of Roman society. And the word redeem was taken from the slave markets of that day. And the idea of the slave market was when you went into the market and you were going to buy somebody You would look at that person and you would say, I want to buy them. And the word that you would use to buy someone is the word that is translated in the New Testament, redeem. And it is the idea that you look at a person and you set a price has been set upon them and you are willing to pay whatever it's got to be paid or you have to make a decision, am I going to be willing to pay whatever is going to be paid to get that person. And so in the process of buying them, you would be redeeming that person. Tell you a funny story. Years ago, uh, in my home church, uh, we had some missionaries who had served in Africa. And uh, in the culture where they served, 
your value could be expressed by how many cows you were worth. And uh, the missionaries were sharing with us that uh, someone had walked up to the husband on one occasion, and his wife was with him, and they had looked at his wife and said, I will give you like 20 cows for your wife. And of course, from American culture, they were sort of in shock, but the joke became that she was a 20 cow lady. Uh, that's, that's how much her value was worth in that culture. Well, that's sort of the idea here that went on in the Greek culture of that day and in the Roman culture, that a price was set on you. And here's what he's saying when he says that God sent forth his son to redeem us. He is saying that when God looked at you and me, he measured our value by saying, you were worth the life and the blood of my son. I'm going to redeem you, I'm going to buy you, because you are worth the life and the blood of my son. So adoption is God's initiative. Now, in adoption, it means that we belong to the Lord. Now, as I said earlier, when God created human beings, he had to decide how you and I were going to relate to each other. And so going back to the book of Genesis, when he decided how we were going to relate to each other, the model that God put together was the model of the family. Because the family is the most basic place that we learn how to connect with each other and relate to one another. Now, why did God choose the family as the model, as the basis upon how we understand human relationships? Because when God looked with inside himself in what we call the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the three who have existed throughout eternity and how they related to each other as Father, Son, and Spirit. He basically took that model and that's what he created in the book of Genesis. In other words, how we relate to each other in family is modeled out of and from how the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit relate to each other. And that is the reason that the concept of family is so important. It's because it is modeled off of the Trinity. And that's the reason Satan attacks it so much. Because he attacks anything that is in the image of God. Now, in this relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit, and then us in the family relating to one another, in sin, what we have done is we've rebelled against God. And part of that rebellion is we've rebelled against His his model, and thus we have busted up the relationship we could have with God. And so what he seeks to do in adoption is to restore that relationship. Now, I want to hit this message on a pause button for just a moment because I'm using a lot of family terms, and this passage is loaded up with a lot of family terms. Family, adoption, son, etc. As I use those terms, and it bounces off of you all that are listening to me, you're having one of two responses, chances are. You're either having a positive response to those terms or a negative response to those terms based on your family of origin, how you grew up. In other words, when I say father, some of you have very pleasant memories. In fact, in the Christmas season, you think about a lot of things that your dad did with you and did for you. Some of you have negative experiences because you're interfacing with your father, generally speaking, and particularly during the Christmas season, was not a positive experience. Uh, some of you may just feel absolutely nothing because dad wasn't around to have an experience with. And so all of us respond to these terms based on how we grew up and what we experienced. I call that emotional hearing. 
And let me tell you something about emotional hearing. Emotional hearing will trump intellectual hearing every time. In other words, I, we can talk about what a father is and what a son is from an intellectual perspective, and we can have a perfect definition of it. But that's not what you're going to hear if you've had a negative experience growing up, regardless of whatever it says. How you felt as a child growing up in your family is going to impact how you look at that. And sometimes those of us who grew up in somewhat of negative environments with family have to sort of tear down in our minds the negative stuff in order to build and construct in our minds and our lives what God is trying to say here about what it means to be adopted into His family. Now, when God uses the term adoption here, he is building off of what he said about Israel. He says, I want to receive you, Israel, as adopted sons. So he's using that Old Testament concept. Now, we're going to delve into this aspect of what it means to be adopted by him, but Paul is building it off of the Roman concept. And I've already talked some about it. I want to go a little bit more into it. First of all, if you were adopted, you had the same legal position as a biological son. In other words, when people looked at you and you had your certificate of adoption, they looked at you, they treated you just like you were a biological son. And when Paul uses this language, what he is saying here is that when God looks at us after he has adopted us, he sees us as legitimately and fully belonging to him. It held great importance in Roman law and society. In other words, when you were adopted, the whole society would look at you and they would say, you are adopted and we accept you as adopted and you've got significance. We don't look down on you. We don't consider you less of a person. If anything, we consider you equal to or even more of a person because you have been adopted. And I want you to think about this because the Bible shows this throughout the Scriptures. When you and I are adopted into the family of God... The witnesses to that adoption, the celebrants to that adoption are the angels. And they celebrate that we have been adopted. In fact, the Bible says that there is joy in the presence of the angels in heaven when someone comes into the family of God. So when you came to Jesus, the angels were celebrating because they see your adoption into the family of God, the legitimacy of it, the treasure of it, the importance of it. Now, often in Roman adoption... The emperors, the Roman emperors, adopted sons. If you, have, if you have an emperor, and this happened multiple times with the Roman emperors, if they did not have an heir to the throne, that was considered horrible. Because back in those days, they didn't have presidents who were elected. The emperors would pass the kingdom, the Roman empire, on to their son. So if he didn't have an heir, there was no one to receive the empire after the emperor died. And they were horrified at that idea. And so what they would do, as weird as this may sound to us, they would go out and they would find an adult male and they would adopt that adult male as their son. And that son was now in line to become the next emperor of Rome. Now you think about that. You are a guy who's going through your life, minding your business, trying to be a good person, and all of a sudden you get called in before the emperor, and the emperor tells you, I'm going to adopt you as my son. And you know immediately what that means. That means that when the emperor dies, you become the new emperor of Rome. Now follow me on this. First of all, it meant that whatever the story of your life was, before the emperor called you up, 
your story has now changed big time. You may have been over here minding your business, doing your thing, but now you're going to be doing a new thing because you have been called into and you have been made a part of a story much greater and higher than who you are and where you've been because you've been adopted by the emperor. When Paul picks up this language of adoption, what he's saying to us is this. When God adopts you, he brings you and I into his story. And his story is in terms of eternity. His story is in terms of all that he is doing in this world and is going to be doing and has been doing. You and I have been called by him through his adoption into his story. Please follow me on this. We're not trying to bring God into our story. We are adjusting up to his story. So often what we do is we try to bring the Lord into our story and find a way to get God into our story. God is too big to get into our story. God is too big to get into our story. God cannot be confined to the size and the scope of our lives. It's too narrow for Him. So what God is saying is, I'm calling you into my story. I am inviting you into my story. By adoption, I am placing you into my story. You're on a new journey now. This new story that this adoptee in the Roman Empire was called into, he didn't know where all was going to take him, but he knew one thing. It was going to have an imperial aspect to it because it was going to be the work of the emperor. And so his life moved from the ordinary to the imperial because he was now the son of the emperor. And folks, when God calls us and adopts us into his family, he is calling us and he is bringing us into his imperial story. We are now caught up in the work of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the fairest of 10,000. We have now caught up in the one who is the bright and the morning star. We are now caught up in the one who created this world. If you want to talk about the significance of your life's journey, don't look at the mirror. Look at the Lord God Almighty who has saved you, washed you clean in the blood of His Son, and who calls you and who anoints you and places the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. That is what He has called you to. That is what He is making you. And that is your significance. That we are living out the story that he has called us to of himself as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, they had an interesting, sort of weird, what would be weird to us, concept in those days. In the way they worked in the Roman Empire. Dads had so much control over their families that they could sell their sons into slavery if they wanted to. Now, that sounds horrible to us, but they practiced it. But here was the way it worked. You could only sell your son three times. At the third time of being sold, if the dad decided he was going to sell him a fourth time, or the son had cycled through three sales, and it was the fourth time that had come up, the Romans stepped in and created what they call adoptio, which is how we pronounce adoption. And this is what they were saying. This young man has been sold already three times. He cannot be sold a fourth time. He has to be adopted. He cannot continue his existence as not being wanted and having no value 
which is being demonstrated by how he's being sold over and over again. Fourth time around, he has to be adopted. He can no longer be thrown under the bus by the culture. He has to come into a family. Imagine being one of these young men. Your dad says, I don't have any use for you. I don't want you around my house anymore. We didn't plan on you being in this family. So, you're up for sale. I'm taking you down to the market, and I'll see what I can get for you. And you get bought. And then your new owner says, after a while, you don't have any use for me. I don't need you anymore. You don't fit my designs. I'm going to put you up for sale. So now you've been sold twice. And the third time, you get bought. And then your third owner decides they don't want you anymore. And you don't have any value. Now, can you imagine what your self-esteem would be like at that point? My dad didn't want me. I've got three different owners that don't want me. Man, where is this going to end? And at that point, when the third owner says, I don't want you, then the Roman law kicks in and says, you cannot be sold a fourth time. This next time, you have to be adopted. And so you get adopted. But man, you discover when you're adopted, it's a whole new ball game now. You give up the last master that you had. You take on the new family. Follow me on this. You're giving up a life of slavery to take on a life of being in a family. You drop the name that you had from your former family, which you probably wouldn't shed too many tears of doing that, and you now take on the name of your new family. You give up the rank and the status of a slave in Roman society to now take on the rank and the status of your father. If he is a leader in the community, you've now got that rank and status. If he serves in the military, you now have the rank and status that goes with the position that your new family has got. That was the idea. You cut all the ties with your former family, and you take on the ties of your new family. Now, why does Paul take this terminology of adoption and use it here? Because this is what he's saying to us, and this is so rich. He's saying, listen, Satan controlled us. Satan had us. And he had no use for us. He just sold us in slavery to one thing after another. One addiction after another, one busted relationship after another, one screw-up in life after another. He didn't give a flip about you and I. We just exchanged one slave for another, one addiction for another, one bondage after another. And then God looked at us and He said, I realize that you don't have much worth and value, at least that's the way people are treating you, but I want you to understand something, I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to adopt you into my family. Even though nobody else has got time for you, I'm going to adopt you into my family. Even though everybody else is throwing you under the bus, I'm pulling you out from underneath the bus, and I'm going to shake you down and shake you off and put you on the side of the street, and you're going to, I'm going to claim you. You're going to be mine. And so when adoption, God is saying, I don't care how much you've been thrown under the bus and rejected by everybody else. Now you belong to me. you got my rank. you got my title. Why were the first Christians named Christians? Christian means Christ one. It meant that you were now identified with this guy named Jesus Christ. You were taking on his reputation and identity with him. 
And so what Paul is saying here in adoption is that we have lost all that mess that Satan had us in to take on what it means to be identified with Jesus and to belong with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he got everybody in the Trinity involved in it. The Father sent his Son intentionally, deliberately. What did the Son do? God says, I want to adopt you. I'm going to send my son. So what does the son do? He comes. He's born. He lives on this earth for 33 and a half years. At the end of it, he goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. He sheds his blood so he can adopt us. Folks, I can't stress that enough. God measured your worth in the blood of his son. That is the ultimate final truth about you. It is not what anybody else is saying about you. Some of you that I'm talking to this morning, every time you look in the mirror, you hate what you see because you feel like people have looked you in the face and have hated what they've seen. But when God looked in your face, what he saw was someone he thought was worth the blood and the life of his son. That is the ultimate, final, eternal reality about you. And then the Spirit of God does what? He is the agency of adoption. And how does He adopt us? How does He work that agency out? Look at verse 6. It says that He has sent the Spirit of His Son into us. And the Spirit is doing what? He's crying out, Abba, Father. The word Abba is an Aramaic term. We don't have an equivalent for it in English. But it would be roughly Daddy. It's the idea of respect combined with closeness. It is the same term that Jesus used when addressing his Father God. And that's the word, the language that he's placed in us. What I want you to do, the Spirit says, I want you to address me as Abba, Father. Notice finally the inheritance that we've got. Verses 6 and 7. It says, so you are no longer, verse 7, a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In Roman adoption, once you were adopted, you had all the privileges, the obligations, and the rights of being a child in that family. Now, what is our inheritance? Number one, our inheritance is that we have the language of family. In other words, I get to come to the Lord, and I get to say, Abba, Father. I know He's going to listen to me. I know He's going to respond to me when I say, address Him. Lord, Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, I know you're hearing me. I know you're listening. I know you're going to respond. Number two, it means we have access to the Father. We know that when we pray, we've got access into the presence of the Lord, and we can talk with the Lord not because we pray good, not because we feel like it, but because the Son already gave us that access, and He made us into His presence. And then finally, there's going to be a future inheritance that we're going to have. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. Now notice how He describes this inheritance. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, cannot be messed up, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
The inheritance that God has for us is being kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, he's saying that we've got an inheritance. It's being kept in heaven for us. That inheritance, he says, is guarded. It is undefiled, cannot be screwed up or messed up by anything on this earth. That inheritance is going to be known in the future in two ways. Number one, when the good Lord whispers our name and we leave this life, what do we do? We step into that inheritance. We walk into that heavenly inheritance that He has for us. Secondly, when Jesus comes again, He says that that he- That inheritance is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we live every day in anticipation and looking forward to when Jesus comes again. And it could be today when he comes again. We are going to get to live in that inheritance that he is going to reveal to us. Now notice the key word there. He says it's going to be revealed in the last time. That means we don't see it yet. We don't know all the details about it yet. People sometimes say, what is heaven going to be like? What's eternity going to be like? Well, we don't know but so many details. The Apostle Paul said he was caught up to the second heaven. It was so wonderful he couldn't describe it. So we don't know what it's going to be like because human language this side of heaven cannot describe how awesome it is. Someone has rightly said, if God created this world with the beauty and magnificence it's got in seven days, can you imagine what heaven must be like? He's been working on it for over 2,000 years. And so whatever God has got in store for us, it's going to be revealed at that time. But that is part of the inheritance. The final aspect of the inheritance is the language of family. It's access to the Father. It's what we just talked about for the future. And finally, it is what is called being united to Christ. It's expressed this way over and over again in the New Testament. We are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And that means that He has united us, tied us together with His Son, our inheritance finally is that we know all every day that it means to be in Christ. We have been united and are united to Him. So Christmas gives us an opportunity to live like it, to celebrate like it, to enjoy like it, and to even do Christmas like we've been adopted. Our home has a tradition in it that many of you all probably share and that is that we hang stockings by the fireplace and those stockings are for each member of our family if you come to our house you'll see one that's got my son's name on it which is this one and you'll see one that for me says daddy one that's got for my wife now in our case right now since our son's at lives away we have one for both of our pets. So you'll see a big royal one that has R on it for Reggie, our dog. And then you'll see a little one that says Chucky on it for our cat. Yes, I have a cat named Chucky. And it's a very good name for that cat, the way he acts. But I won't go there right now, all right? <laughs> but each member of the family has got their stocking hanging by the chimney. And we've also had another tradition that if we have folks who spend Christmas Eve into Christmas Day with us, that we make sure they have a stocking hanging by the chimney on Christmas morning, and it's filled with some stuff that is specific for them. So we always try to make people that are spending the night with us on Christmas Eve into Christmas Day feel like they are part of our family on Christmas Day when we open gifts because they've got their stocking hanging by 
the chimney to say, hey, you are part of our family. What God is saying to us in Galatians chapter 4 is this. You're part of my family because I've adopted you. And I've hung a stocking with your name on it by my chimney. When you walk into my living room and you look at the stockings, understand that one of them has got your name on it because you are part of my family. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, one of the greatest things you can do at Christmas time is become part of God's family. Say to Him, Jesus, I want to belong to you. I want to know you. I want to be adopted by you. I want to be in your family. And I want to invite you and encourage you this day if you've never made that decision. This day, say that to Him. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to belong to you. I want to walk with you. I want you, Lord, to adopt me as your own. And Jesus, I will follow you as you lead me. And if you made that decision, let us know at the end of the service, during the invitation in just a moment, where you can come forward and share that with me. And I'd love to pray with you. If you're listening through Facebook or the radio, we invite you to contact our church office and, or through Facebook and let us know so that we can encourage you and, and help you in your walk with the Lord. Jesus, we praise you and we bless you for adopting us. Thank you, Jesus, that we can be part of your family. In just a moment as we sing... A Christmas hymn, I want to invite you to just talk to the Lord and just ask the Lord to help you rest in and enjoy all that it means to be claimed by Him, adopted by Him. And if the Lord is impressing upon you to trust Him as your Savior or become part of our church family, then we invite you to walk the aisle here and love to pray with you and talk with you about that important decision. Lord, we praise you in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.